You're listening to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch, episode 489. My name is Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we continue our journey with the Prime Video series, The Peripheral. And uh, this is the penultimate episode, if I calculate correctly. We got the season finale next week, 1899, coming up the week after that. So, yeah, good stuff heading into uh, 2023. Yeah. Lots of uh, lots of good TV on the uh, the new horizon. Yeah. Now, before I talk about you know what it is I'm watching, I just want to clarify something that you probably have no idea is even a thing because I know you don't have time to get on Facebook that often. But uh, I want to clarify this past week's Facebook post, you know, that I make each week. That's got the link to you know the most current episode of sci-fi tv you watch this was for episode six that was titled or is titled uh fuck you and eat shit (laughs) and when we recorded last week you know i thought nothing about you know saying what the title is in the you know course of the podcast and you know anybody that's been following the podcast you know we made a decision 10 years ago we're going to try to be as clean as possible and you know for the most part we we pretty much are trapped every now and then we we let one slip yeah but for the most part we uh, we keep it clean but it didn't occur to me until i was uploading all of the material into um you know our host podbean which you know is our feed and then that's picked up by uh apple podcasts itunes and you know all the other uh podcast and pod server outlets that okay well i always type the title of the episode in there and suddenly i i don't know i was a little bit taken aback that okay it's one thing to say it in the course of the podcast because you know it comes and goes and unless you hit that two seconds when when we say that title or whatever you're not even going to know it exists but when you type it into your blog post which you know, is basically your feed. I mean, it's there for everybody to see. And and Fred may be right that you know, he didn't say the words, but I kind of think this is what he was getting at, that, you know, maybe I overreacted a little bit because I didn't use that as the actual title. I used F-U-E-F-F mm-hmm. and, and eat dirt. <laughs> and I struggled with it for a number of days. And I finally just said, you know, uh, and and because here I was going to let it go, but I guess what really got me, it's like, okay, why would you even pick that as the title of the episode? Because Uh, because they're probably not thinking about podcasters when they picked it. Okay. But, but fine, you know, and and Fred's right. It's if that turns you off to the series, then you probably weren't that big a fan anyway. And I get that, but there's plenty of people that will come new to the show down the road and might, you know, look at the title, you know, the list of titles and and you you just never know. I guess what I'm getting at is as the show's creators, why would you choose that as your title? That in the context of the episode, all that was, was the password that the sheriff had, you know, to allow Corbell into the computer. It really didn't have any real importance to the episode. Now in the episode we're going to talk about tonight, if Tommy had said to Corbell, fuck you and eat shit right before unloading his 45 caliber pistol into his chest. Okay. Well, in all fairness, he hit 
Corbell with the. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The sheriff. He hit the sheriff. Right. But, you know. And we've also tipped that he knows the sheriff's passwords. Exactly. Kill him uh, anyway, so you might as well throw some more dirt on there. Yeah. So, anyway, I I just, just, I'll leave it at that. And, um, yeah, I mean, you you have a valid point there. Um, You know, I think the other side of that may, I mean, who knows why? Um, It is obviously an edgy title, and they've, you know, picked clever titles, you know. And I think part of it is like, oh, why did they? You know, why would you? Why would they call it that? That's weird. I wonder what overarching theme you know th- this reflects. And uh, it all it was was you had the guy's password and everything. Uh, it gave him a chance to say it to Corbell, which maybe he's kind of itching to say to him for a while. It's just waiting for just for this moment to be able to tell Corbell what his passwords were. Yeah. Anyway. Um- I'll be real quick with my what I'm watching this week. And I don't know if you saw it pop up in your Netflix feed, but you knew when I saw the title, Blood, Sex, and Royalty, I'm going <laughs> to check it out. And it is a three-episode look at Anne Boleyn. And it's punctuated with you know dramatization as well as historians that would come in like you'd see any documentary on the History Channel. And I know some of the critics are put off by that, that it interrupts the flow or whatever. I kind of like it. And I've seen a lot of historical uh, series about Henry VIII and you know all of his wives, including Anne Boleyn. And I learned a lot that I didn't know in this series. And it's never going to be confused with high art, but it's it's definitely enjoyable. So, I mean, if you're you know, into that sort of thing. They're short episodes. There's only three of them. And, uh, you know, anyway, with a title like that, you know, I had to be there. And, yeah. and other than some naked breasts in the first episode, it's in that regard, it was a little bit disappointing, but anyway, uh-huh. all right, what do you got? Well, in the, uh, in this vein of, uh, things that will not be mistaken for high art, got to the, like the holiday spirit a little bit, watch a couple new uh holiday movies here uh i am one of i feel the biggest fans of a christmas story the original movie um i absolutely love that movie uh, i can watch it innumerable times on uh christmas eve and still laugh uh at all those jokes and whenever ralphie says son of a bitch that just <laughs> Every, yeah, right? See? Yeah, sure. I can't not laugh right. at that every single time. So anyway, um, you might have heard that they made a sequel to it called A Christmas Story Christmas, uh, bringing back most of the original cast. Of course, you couldn't bring back Darren McGavin as he has passed away uh, many quite a few years ago. Um, and the woman who played his mother also, they replaced her with, I can't remember the actress's name, but it's the girl, who the lady was in Airplane. Again, it would never be confused with high art, but I found it uh, fairly enjoyable. It wasn't necessarily even great, but I thought it was pretty good. There were some funny moments. Uh, it gave you kind of the warm feels because you see all the all the crew from the old uh, and and the the guy. Uh, I can't remember. He's he's great. The guy who played Scott Farkas, who was also in uh, Dollhouse uh, season two. Um, and he was in it and everything. There's a good moment between him and Ralphie. So, um, so if you if you enjoyed the if you're a big big, I'd say if you're a huge fan of the original movie, 
then you will probably like a Christmas story Christmas. If you have no opinion about the first movie, or maybe you're not really a fan, then you should just steer clear of this entirely because the the best parts of it were kind of like the nostalgia there and everything. And you probably should talk to your parents about why you're not a huge fan of the original because, right. I mean, there are classics and there are classics. And that undoubtedly is a classic. Yes. For sure. Um, the other holiday movie we watched, uh, wasn't this week, it was like the previous weekend, but um, we were just talking about it. My daughter is uh, spirited with uh, Will Ferrell and um, Ryan Reynolds. And again, we'll never be confused, will not be in line for any Oscars, uh, but was a, I think, I found it a pretty enjoyable movie. Um, some really funny moments. Uh, they did make the decision to make it into a musical, and that's always hit and miss. Um, if you've got Lin-Manuel Miranda writing music for you, okay, you're probably going to be okay. But if you're not, you might not. And there's some, there, you know, actually the music was decent. I can't, you know, it wasn't spectacular, but it was it was okay. So, uh, but yeah, it, and that's on, um, what's that? That's on Apple TV, I believe. And uh, it was really, and you know, Ryan Reynolds, I love Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, he's just, he's great. And he's just uh, awesome in, in everything he's in. And of course, Will Ferrell also is uh, kind of a, you know, that lovable, long kind of character that he played. Um, so I would recommend it, uh, you know, uh, halfway. But if you are, um, if, if you're really particular about your movies and picky, then probably stay away. But if you just like mindless kind of good fun, then then you'll probably like it. Yeah, I mean, look, good fun. Will Farrell, Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, yeah. stuff to miss, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So. Um, the last thing I bring up because uh, the the season finale of Andor was this past Wednesday, and wow, is all I'm going to say. That show is awesome. Uh, it was really really good. Um, I heard people call it the best Star Wars show. I don't know. I really like The Mandalorian still, but it was pretty darn good. Um, really, you know, especially since Rogue One, I think is definitely one of, if not my favorite Star Wars movie. <clears throat> and you just see like the grittier underside of the of the Empire and kind of inner workings of the Empire stuff you didn't really see in Star Wars. We saw just everything from Luke Skywalker's perspective. Uh, you don't really get like. There's people in the empire who are like just civil servants and they go home and they live with their mothers and stuff, you know? And, uh, so yeah, it was, but, uh, just a, a really, really good series. Um, if you're a star Wars fan, absolutely recommend it. If you're not, I know Dave, I'll ne- never sell you on it, but, uh, it was really good. Excellent. Uh, loved it a lot. Well, that's good to hear. I'm glad for all of you viewers that like that stuff. But speaking of liking stuff, I absolutely loved another episode of The Peripheral. This is episode seven of season one titled The Doodad. You know, nice wholesome title there. Uh, Written by Jamie Chan and Scott B. Smith. Uh, Jamie Chan wrote What About Bob? This was directed by Ulrich Riley, who directed episodes three and four, Haptic Drift and Jackpot, released on November 25th, 2022. Dude, it was funny, like, as you read all those titles, I'm like, yeah, I guess all those titles actually were thematically linked to the episode, unlike uh, last week, so. Yeah, 
So I had a point. You did have a point, I believe. Yes. Okay. Well, dude, what did we not learn in this episode? And admittedly, I'm not sure I'm totally 100% clear on everything that we learned in this episode. Right. And even though I have notes to look at, even though I watched the episode twice, I'm probably going to need to go back to at least certain passages again. But hopefully talking about it tonight will clarify some of this for me. But we get a sense for what Alita, Ash, and Ossian are planning to do which is to just burn down the whole timeline Mm -hmm. and rebuild it how they actually plan to do that we don't necessarily learn at this point it might be one a a case where it sounds good to burn everything down oh well now we don't have this or now we don't have that so you know we, we don't know how intricate and detailed their plan is but that's certainly something we kind of thought might be a possibility but you know now we've got it in black and white sharice's hitman fails again and it, it favorite scene in the whole episode no question when when burton takes out bob that oh, was yeah, that just was wild yeah. oh my god that was just classic that was good. The ending I thought was really good. I I think we've seen enough to know. And do you watch the next week on the peripheral? Nope. Never. Well, see, I, you know, what the hell's wrong with me? I don't know. So I, I I can't, I, I, I hit the, uh, the stop button as fast as I possibly can. Okay. I mean, I, I think we get a sense that Corbell is likely still alive, that the pulse well, did not shit, kill. There you go. Well, yeah, but I mean, Might as well, watch it now. Huh? Well, no, no, not not necessarily. But I'll, I'll I'll go back to the use of the pulse in the previous episodes, right? When you know it it certainly does some damage, likely internal damage, but it doesn't kill anybody. But I think more than well, anything, well, but you gotta like put oh, shit. Sorry, it might. Um, it will, if, but you gotta put it, like right up next to their skull, right? Well, right, right, right. And we've been talking for several weeks now. When is Tommy going to join Team Fisher? Well, if not now, never. Right. So I, or I don't know he what could else. Just be an avenging angel, you know? Like, yeah, but it's not as if. Burton wouldn't want to join along with him. And we certainly know Connor would. Uh, Dee Dee is involved now. And dude, how cool is Dee Dee? Yeah, it's pretty cool. I mean, I, I was half expecting her to pull a scalpel out of her thing, you know, throw it across the room right into Bob's jugular. <laughs> Alas, what we got was just I as think good. I would have been surprised if I would have been surprised if that had happened. Yeah, but she was so calm, so composed. Yeah, but you know what, Dave? I, uh, I'm just going to throw this out here that she might be in on this, on on the the scheming and the wow. nastiness. Wow. Okay. Two reasons, and I, I don't just come up with this because I don't like Dee Dee. Because I do like Dee Dee. I like Dee Dee a lot. I just I'm not sure if I trust her right now. One. Why did she send her secretary out for lunch? Right when Reese and and uh, was it Ella? Yeah. When they show up, right? She says, "Oh, go tell whoever she can take her lunch break now." And I'm like, 
at first, I, you know, I, I mean, I said, that's, I just found that unusual that they would include that line. Like, why did they include that, you know? Okay. Um, because it's a throwaway line, you know, unless she's like either A, I don't know why. But, they, you know, so anyway, so there's that. So you oh, think she's on Corbell's payroll then? She she might be. Okay. She I just, I think, I don't really know if I really full full on believe this, right? <clears throat> it's just that I just found that line. Like, why would why would they even include that line? So me, suspicious mind person, feels like okay. I think maybe she might be part of this. The second reason is because we find out in the you know, or I guess we'll call it the original timeline. Flynn and Tommy got married and had kids, right? Sure. So it's like, so what has happened here that interfere with that? Dee Dee. So I think she might be an agent of despair and underhandedness. Well, you know, I would, I guess, argue that what prevents Flynn from getting together with Tommy in this timeline is her reluctance to let him know how she feels. But wouldn't I, that have been her deal in the original? Well, uh, maybe maybe the Flynn in that timeline is is more forceful and more outgoing and more self confident. I everybody's slightly different. We, you know, we know this from all the. All right. You know, well, I'm just saying. When okay, I like it though. I like it. Turns around. And starts killing people. Just remember where you heard it first. I like it. So, well, along the lines of this story, Bob's Last Stand, if you will, I thought that was a great title. Mrs. Fisher's blindness returns. And it's something that's kind of been in the background of the narrative when she confronts her children that nothing comes without a cost. So, what's going to happen when they stop providing my medication? So we don't really know what happens here unless I missed it. Burton and Flynn haven't done anything that would you know, keep the future uh, from continuing the medication. Right. So and as far as we know, like she's still taking it, right? We haven't, we haven't right. gotten the scene seeing her like throwing it down the toilet or anything. Right. So we suspect something bad is about to happen because we sense Reese's reluctance to just leaving the Fisher compound. And it's not as if he's leaving anybody behind unprotected other than the compound itself. But there's just that sense of reluctance on his part. And, you know, no, this is Ma Fisher. You're going to, you're going to do what I tell you, Reese. And, And of course he does. And we we know that Bob is watching them and, and then, of course, follows them. I'm not sure why he had to cut himself so badly <laughs> to, right. you know, to, I guess, method acting. Yeah, he really wants to get into the part. Yeah, because he just could cut himself a little. He already looks a mess. Right. right. Yeah, like we no need doctor's lo- going to look at him and say, oh, this guy's fine. Right. All you need is a little bit of blood and you just put a bandage over it and you go in and you say what he ended up saying anyway. Boy, I'm telling you, yeah, you, how, I don't know how Reese fought him off as long as he did for as many 
times as he was stabbed. He got stabbed a lot. And it looked like he was getting stabbed in places where you get stabbed there, you don't live much longer after that. Right. Yeah. And, um, you know, again, we, we got the sense, because we've seen this narrative device in other shows, that when Bob uses Reese's phone to text um, Burton and Flynn, he's using language that they that that Reese wouldn't use, and, and they pick up on it right away. So you know, Burton understands we we don't just drive up to the parking lot; we park you know a few hundred yards down the road. We get out our our binoculars and we scope out the place, and and of course they've got the. Uh, I don't know. What do you call the, the, the thing that can tell the heat signatures? Infrared. Light. Infrared. Thank you. And they've got that, you know, along with them, which is pretty darn handy as well. So, you know, I, I, I just love this scene because as Burton tells Flynn, who's ready to just run in and rescue mom, Burton says, look, this is, and he does, I think he says, this is the only thing I'm good at. Is that what he says? Yeah, I believe he says that, yeah. Which is not really true, but right. I, we understand what he means. He, he probably should have phrased it. This is what I've been trained to do. This is what I am really good at. Just mm-hmm. do what I ask you. And how many times do we see the other character? Nope, I'm not going to do what you asked me, even though it makes sense. I'm going to screw up the whole operation, but right. b- but she doesn't. Well, we, and, we've, we've seen it enough that, that we've, you know, groaned about it on multiple occasions in other shows. Yep. And they use the haptics, you know, in, in this case to give Reese's dead body a jolt. Then they can pick out, you know, which one is Bob with the infrared. And, and I think does Flynn at that moment say execute? Yes. I was pretty boss. And this time there's no hesitation. Right. So, and then the ricochet shot is just, and then he does what we've been screaming about for 10 years on the podcast now. <laughs> he gets in there. He doesn't mess around. He puts two or three more bullets in Bob. Yep. And that's it. Lights yeah. out. So, Probably in his head, too. Instead of- yes, yes. So, uh, so, so yeah, just so a- they are basically, I, I, I just assume that the people who do this show are listening to our podcast and are taking notes, right? Nothing else so makes here's sense. The, here's the stuff that pisses David Wayne off. Hey, when people don't want to do the sensible plan, B, when they shoot someone, but don't finish them off. They just, you know, either gloat, look at you, Prince Oberon, or ignore the person believing they're dead, only to find out to their detriment later. Yeah. Now, Tommy makes that mistake with Corbell. You know, I, I think he should have gone over. I mean, he doesn't really understand what this pulse device is the well, we don't know yet really because it kind of cuts off there once he he hits corbell out of the house well and that's the end of the scene well right but i i think you know logic and reason tells you all right i tested it once on the windows of my wrecked cruiser and it blew out the windows i used it on corbell just now and it knocked him through the window do i just assume that he's dead or do I go and pick up another gun from somewhere and make sure? Well, that's the thing because right, this, this the hint, this story hinges. I understand on using Bob's gun. I understand. And he foolishly 
uh, you know, spent the whole clip on the sheriff. You know, what does he do? Like, does he shoot Corbell with someone else's gun? Then that won't really line up with his narrative. All right. How about a knife? How about just stomping on his head? I mean, I don't know something, yeah. but uh, anyway, we'll we'll forgive Tommy for that because. You know, he he certainly makes that move against the sheriff, and that was to use a phrase you use very often. That was boss, dude. Yeah. Well, especially since I mean, like the sheriff just does like he just does classic bad guy. You know, like I'm going to sit here and gloat about my evilness and uh, just be a complete d bag, um, and then uh, you know, but in this case, instead of being able to lord it over, as often happens. When the bad guy gets too arrogant, is that the hero comes back and, you know, puts yeah. a clip of bullets into him. Yeah. It sounds like you just made it up. Yeah, but it sounds true, doesn't it, Tommy? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, he, and he's right. Like, I mean, like sure. Tommy's story is, it's crazy. Even though the lady at the police station, you know, says like the, you know, like what she says he, that the, the car that you said you were hit by or something like that, you know? So, like, no one even now believes him. So he's not going to be able to sell that story. He knows it. So it's a matter of just he decides, F it, man. You know, I'm going to, like, I'm not going to be pushed around. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm not, even though it does seem like they've got me dead to rights. Oh, wait a second. Here's something they didn't think about. I got a doodad, you arrogant piece I've of shit. A, I've got a doodad. And right, which I'm glad they named it that because I would we'd spend the whole podcast trying to figure out what we're going to call that thing. Now we just call it the doodad. Right. And, and you know, there's that parallel with the, the scene later with Lev and Ossian and Ash, where they refer to him, Lev, that is as arrogant. And of course he has already learned how to decrypt their decrypted language. And he knows what they're saying about him, but, uh, um, the yeah, there's other a lot of there's a lot of the consequences of arrogance here. Yes, you know? yes. Like we certainly see it with Corbell, as you said, we see it Ossian and and Ash, and uh, with Bob certainly as well. You know. Yeah. Now, I mean, these two stories that we just talked about, there, there's not really anything that we don't understand. This is all fairly literal. But once we get into Inspector Lobier questioning Team Fisher, now things start getting a, a lot more complicated. Yeah. You ain't just whistling Dixie, my friend. And, you know, I love that Flynn asks if Wilf can come along because she trusts him. And the look on Wilf's face several times during this episode, Wilf doesn't say much. I don't know if he even has a line in this episode now that i think about it. i have well, to go he back does and- because i know he he when uh Austin comes in and says the inspector here he's like oh maybe i should go oh yeah right 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 but you're right i don't know outside of that one if you really had any right so it was it was all these non-verbal signals that he's sending out and on the one hand i i, I feel like he is glad because now he gets to you know, keep an eye in, on what's going on here without having had to ask to do it. She brought him along and, and the inspector said, yep, that's fine. And then Beatrice takes Connor and Burton into that building, which amounts to basically a real life sim killer be killed. 
And when they come out on the rooftop and they are just so exhilarated that it's just such an exciting scene. And, And this episode, there's a lot of tension and excitement in this episode. I mean, there, there are a number of fight sequences and, and, you know, Fred points out maybe too many, you know, in the, uh, you know, the scenes with, with, uh, Beatrice and Connor and Burton, but I, I think it was done well enough. I, I, I liked it, but just that exhilaration and, and, and Connor, I'm moving here. And, and then when, it, when, uh, they come face to face with Beatrice, I got to agree with, with Connor, I'm going to marry her. Yeah. <laughs> you the know, robot lady, the yes. robot lady. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, and that's the easy part to understand. The inspector tells Flynn that Connor didn't lose his limbs in her timeline. The RI must have opened the stub a decade earlier than they'd thought to this point. Significant divergences have already been occurring in our two timelines. So here's where I'm starting to get confused a little bit. Okay. So we know Sharice opens the timeline that we've been, you know, watching in 2032, presumably, right? yeah right that's the stub right and but she didn't open it she opened it like at least 10 years earlier when they uh gave haptics to um burton and connor and all those guys right so before the texas war started you know they were already there so i guess we could argue that the texas war crew of of burton and connor and and reese and and leon fought in was probably instigated by the research institute you know in this stub now did did that war take place in the quote-unquote real timeline the inspector's timeline she seems to indicate it did right it's just Mm -hmm. that that connor didn't lose his limbs right and burton died though right and that Flynn married Tommy and had two kids and all of that. So I, I guess what we're supposed to take away from that comment about a decade earlier is that the research Institute opened that stub in 2022 and it's been evolving for 10 years at this point. Right. Okay. So got a handle on that then. Okay. But the jackpot is ex- is happening at an accelerated rate in the stub, right? right. In Flynn's yeah. world. Yeah, because they're mucking about with it. Right. So we know basically what has happened with the jackpot in the real world again, you know, in, in, in the, the future. But we don't know if it's accelerating if it's starting earlier obviously the outcome could be vastly different and i don't know that we're going to actually see that but apparently the texas war involved texas leaving the union right we're talking about secession yeah. right so was it just texas then we hear about the antis and the antis, I guess, is just a nickname for a data sorting algorithm yes. that she mentions. But we don't necessarily get a, a sense of what kind of data the antis are looking at. They apparently, 
or, or it has access to more than what's publicly available, which on the one hand kind of surprises me. You get the sense that Sharice is not going to let anything of real importance be publicly available. So, well, not the stuff that they're, they're the, the dirty stuff. You know? Right. And, and I love that the inspector basically calls her on that and Fred points out, uh, you know, in his feedback about the the toast analogy, and and we've talked about you know the these three factions that are presumably meant to balance each other out, but it does seem as if Sharice is kind of on her own and looking for an ally. Yeah, and well, she's definitely you know trying to well i, I wouldn't even say necessarily ally she's kind of trying to bully uh Lobier into doing what she wants her to do what she sure. wants her to do sure you know well but you know the uh the klept are powerful in their own right we i don't know that we have a sense for just how powerful lev's people really are Mm, I'll give the sense they're pretty effing powerful. <laughs> well, I do too because of the the you know the, the the way they're spoken about by both the inspector and Sharice, but we haven't necessarily gotten an actual sense there. Right. I mean, on the one hand, you know, why don't Ossian and Ash just kill him right there in the room? Uh, he he's not a superhero. He you know, but will his death end up coming back to haunt them, which is, I assume, you know, they, they seem pretty frightened once they realize that their, their code had been broken. Right. By, and, you know, them. like, again, like, um, HR miscues, like, why is he keeping them on board here? Like he basically overheard them plotting to just completely stab him in the back. He tells them that he busted them. He's just like, all right, don't do it again, you crazy kids. <laughs> yeah, I, I want to go back, though, to that line that, that the inspector tells Flynn that, that significant divergences have already been occurring in our two timelines. And I guess it's got to be more than simply she married Tommy in one and not in the other. So it's it's got to be a lot more than that. It's got to be more than simply Burton died in one, didn't in the other, that that connor lost his limbs in one and you know so i don't know you know i mean maybe it's just that the jackpot has accelerated in the stub and you know that maybe that's enough but i don't know at this point but well it's still like so unclear like we get that like right now all we've gotten from like why that they why they want this stub open is you know, Lev has said that, oh, my, you know, my brother can do pharmaceutical testing on them that he wouldn't be able to do here and take him years and he can do it back then and everything. So, you know, so that's one thing. But he also says the, the possibilities are endless of ways that they can um, exploit the stub. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of, you know, we're not really 100 at least I'm not 100% sure what are some of the other things. So, well, the haptics again. And I guess that's also kind of like beta testing to see if it works, so that they can, you know, plug those things into people, you know, in the, the current world. 
Well, well, the other thing that the inspector mentions that confuses me, she mentions a Flynn Fisher that no longer exists. Now, does she simply mean that in 2100, the Flynn Fisher that married Tommy and had two kids is long dead? Yeah. Okay. That's, I, that's what I assumed she meant, but that's not what she said. You know, like she didn't say that specifically. She put it in a much more kind of mysterious way. Well, because Flynn Fisher does exist in the 2100 timeline, albeit in the body of a peripheral. Right. But Flynn Fisher from the stub is now existing in both places. So, and, and we don't necessarily know how many individuals actually, you know, have that possibility. I, I guess we could say at this point now, Connor has, you know, is currently existing in both timelines and, and right. Burton as well. No, but, not Burton. Well, no, I mean, Burton exists in the 2032 timeline, but now 2032 stub Burton is in 2100 in now, granted he was killed, but you know, yeah, yeah, okay. I got okay. So again, I, I don't know, you know, how important that even is, but, uh, you know, and, and, and then of course, uh, when Beatrice defeats Connor and Burton at the same time, Lobier returns Flynn to 2032. And I think at that point, my concern is mainly that they wake up in the trailer so that they can discover their mother's missing and they need to, you know, figure out what's going on. And, you know, we're wondering when is that going to happen? Because I don't necessarily feel as if Bob is going to kill Mrs. Fisher. Well, no, not, I mean, he, yeah, he will. He would have, I should say. Yeah, I guess. Ultimately, um, unquestionably, like he killed Mary, like granted Mary was, you know, hitting him with that shock thing. Right, right. But still like, man, I, that took me by surprise when I saw that he, had, I mean, he killed her like bad. You know, it wasn't like a nice kill. It was, it was as an angry kill. You know, I, I've, I have no doubt that he would not leave any witnesses at all behind. Okay. Now I, I didn't really understand why the inspector was asking Beatrice for her take on Burton and Connor, why she would feel the need to choose one over the other. And we don't really even know what the choice would be all about, but it's at that point that we realize, Oh, she's a peripheral because you know, when, when she makes that comment about, I don't have enough data input to make that you know determine i forget exactly what she says at, at that point but it's like whatever she says it's like well, oh. be, well because yeah like um you know lobier is like well wh-, you know because she says you know i i kind of would rather have the other guy not the brother and Lobier's like well why would you say that if you just said that you know like like burton is the more reliable one she's like you know i i don't know I like right. what we know. It's because, you know, she's like Connor's in the her. She's in the Connor. Yeah. You know what? And, and that's, I mean, that's the only thing that makes sense. And then that speaks to, I mean, is Beatrice a true AI? 
See, I mean, when we look at the peripherals, you know, Burton, Connor now, uh, Flynn, well, they're not true AIs. They're, you know, real people that are piloting these bodies. But we get the sense that Beatrice is actually a true AI, right? Yes. So for the AI then to make that choice to say, well, I'd pick Connor. Well, why? And she can't articulate it. And the only thing that makes sense is just what you said. Well, he's into me. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and I, I love it. So yeah. Anyway, yeah, it's cool. It's um, like a little, little like uh peripheral shipping here. Yep. Yep. Now, Robots Char- in love. now Charisse, confronts the inspector and the inspector says i lifted the veil so whatever that means exactly i think just she let sharice know a little bit like you know she let herself be seen going to lev's house so now sharice knows the met has met with the clapped and she's like so what's going on over here right 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 so this is where we learn about the fact that Alita and, and her group were targeting their neural adjustment mechanism, which again, I, I love the, uh, the description there because we know what it is, behavior modification, behavior control, whatever behavior control. Yeah. So, and as the inspector points out, ah, so if that ever got out, that would be a bad thing for you, huh? Yeah. <laughs> so, we understand why Sharice is now so concerned. We understand that now the inspector has a chip to play, maybe even more than one chip, because right. this is a pretty big revelation here. So, you know, when I said earlier that Sharice seems to be looking for an ally, what better ally than law enforcement in this case? Right. And and the idea is you don't want this information getting out to the public. The backlash, as the inspector said, would be swift and powerful. So we don't get a sense of what the media is like in this world, in this timeline. But I, I think we can safely say it's probably under pretty tight control, which I guess you could argue is the same thing in – 2022 yeah, yeah. in our world but well but it, there's so much stuff that's like implanted in them you know like the um all the people that they see around that aren't really there or the the the, the fake um city skyline of london and things like pretty significant amount of control over the, the people in this world already for sure um but you know sharice asks the inspector to destroy the Fishers, Lev, and anybody associated with them here and in the stub. So how afraid of Lev and the Klept is she? Well, I guess you could argue pretty pretty damned afraid. So she's got she's got his DNA, right? Like that was her big threat before. Like why does she have to get the Met to carry out her dirty work for? Right, unless the Klept is so powerful that even the RI has to be somewhat afraid of what the reaction might be to taking out one of their their principles. True, but but we get some insight into Alita's plan, 
Ash and Ossian are apparently more concerned about accessing Flynn and the connection to the 2032 stub. And we're not exactly sure what that's all about. But then we learn what the hell happened here (laughs) is that Alita's plan was to hide because we've talked about this over the last week or two. Well, where are they hiding it? You know, technology in 2022 is fairly advanced. So what's it going to be like in 2032? I don't know that I thought the plan was to hide it in Burton's haptics. Right. But I guess it's kind of brilliant, except. Yeah, Yeah, it didn't. Burton wasn't the one uh, piloting the peripheral. Well, you know what? I I actually, because when I. I watched this the first time I actually watched the previous week's episode before it. And there's a scene in there that kind of just went right by me. But now it's significant um, where Ossian and Ash are commenting on um, the fact that Dee Dee is taking these uh, scans. Oh, her brain. brain. And then they say something about like what Alita had done. And I'm like, oh, I bet you, like, somehow the, the information's in, in Flynn's brain, like, you know, and that turns out. So there was a scene, actually, in the previous episode that would kind of point it to us, but I just, I missed it, like, third time was a charm. I caught the third time around. Right, and so we learned that her headset translated the data into bacterial DNA. We'll defer to Fred what that actually means. Yeah. And began to colonize her brain. So, uh, I mean, as we get to the end of this episode, I mean, for me, one of the other big questions is how long until the bacteria in Flynn's brain begins to cause problems? I think there is, isn't it? Well, in in what regard? Um, The seizure she had. Oh, okay, okay. That sent her the DD in the first place? I'm just spitballing. Oh, you're right. I forgot about that. Right, 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 right. (laughs) So, um, and then we find out that the plan was to give the data to the neoprims to burn this world down and build a new one in its place. So, all right, now we've got a lot more context than we've had at any point in the first seven episodes where they're going to take us in episode eight. Obviously they can't bring very much resolution to this story so hopefully they've got a plan for a season two. We've, how, how many luckily times, it's not on HBO. Right. How many times we've been down this road. So, yeah. um, you know, we will see. Right. Because there's a lot of stuff with the neoprims. I mean, they are now, it, it was a term we probably just heard, maybe I think I heard, or I noticed for the first time, like two episodes ago, I think. Um, and they didn't even really explain. They've just been kind of like, very slowly rolling out like who the neoprims are and everything. It's, but yet we haven't really seen like the neoprims in action. We haven't seen any like, you know, um, tangible evidence of their existence or what their deal is. But I feel like on the next episode, we, we're going to see a significant amount of it. Yeah, I hope so. And I hope it's not just in flashbacks, although that would be okay as well. Sure. But, but, We get the sense that, you know, neo-prim, neo-primitives, but you don't necessarily get the sense that they are like Luddites, that they are against technology. 
I get the sense that they're just against some of the current technology and the way current technology is being employed to control people. Right. So, yeah, because I mean, uh, with Ossian and Ash, certainly they you know they use technology extensively. Right. I mean, it's not like be foreigners and and the. Uh, Right. You know the nineteenth-century luddites in, in, in that storyline, but uh, what else that we haven't talked about? You know, it's funny because right before he gets clipped, Corbell says, "F me, I did not see that coming." And I'm, I was like, "You know what? Kind of same, Corbell. You know, like, um, you know, I was just, I'm glad that the uh, the 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 writers here went a different direction with Tommy." Then, you know, before I was saying, oh, he's either going to join on the team or be like some innocent victim. And they kind of picked this third option for him, much as the third option that uh, Ms. Fisher offers to, to Bob. You know, he can be on his own, a, a, a uh, you know, like I think I've called him before, an avenging angel, you know, uh, uh, dealing justice to those who who deserve it. Stuff like that. Yeah, I thought that was cool. And, and I like the the way this has built up, starting with him seeing the sheriff's boots in the bathroom stall, and then learning that. Uh, well, first of all, then his his cruiser getting t boned by one of those cloaked vehicles, then finding out that nothing was entered into evidence, and then he goes out and. All right. Now, on the one hand, when he when he goes to the impound lot and he finds the gun and the doodad still in the car, I, I think for all of us, we realized that was just a, an oversight on the sheriff's part, that right. that was sloppy, bad guy work. Uh, right. Especially. Well, I mean, but again, maybe born out of arrogance. Yes. Know? Like, I don't need to bother covering my trails because who cares who's going to squawk right 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 and and he walks away and then that scene where he's in his vehicle it's like and he's just so torn about what to do but he's not really it's just that his first reaction was to walk away it's like no this is not who i am and then he goes back in and and uh takes care of business so just i I like that he said he called himself a loser you know like that was like really a point where I think we really kind of started to get into Tommy as a character. You yes. Know, he's kind of been a likable guy, but to really see this moment of vulnerability and then how he just kind of pushes through that and just says, screw it. You know, like this is prop- the wrong thing to do in, maybe in so many ways, but I still have a card to play and I'm going to play it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know, like the, the sheriff tells him life would be easier if you just accept that you're corrupted. And Tommy's like, I refuse to be corrupted, you know? Yeah. And, and he might have been, and probably he has turned a blind eye a long time. Like they, they say he's been working, what, 10 years, I think? Yeah. So it seems unlikely he would have been working the sheriff's office for 10 years and not realize that the sheriff's office is under the control of, of Corbell Pickett. So, and so he's either been, I guess, I think the sheriff said it's either – you know, being willfully blind or I, I can't remember, or just stupid or something like that. And I mean, there's something to that because, you know, Tommy, by this point, you think would know. Um, but either way, uh, Tommy's soul is 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 unstained still. 
And again, as I said earlier, I don't see any scenario where Tommy doesn't now become a member of Team Fisher because of what Didi witnessed and you know basically what what he's witnessed over uh, over time so uh he could still be an avenging angel he just has he's part of a team all right anything else um well the one line bob says i don't mean to be rude man but you need to shut your mouth and keep it shut <laughs> yeah well that's like super rude right <laughs> yeah that's like someone saying oh i really hate to ask you this i'm like well then don't ask <laughs> if you hate to do it don't do it right I probably shouldn't say this, but yeah, right. Then don't say it if you're prefacing that. So I don't know. I just just, just stay that. off Twitter, Lamar. Very funny. Yes, Lamar. Yes, definitely. You work on throwing the deep ball and stay off Twitter. Did I say that out loud? Yeah. Uh, Low beer is afraid of the past. She's afraid of the stub. And like, probably with good that? reason. Yeah. You know, obviously for good reason, but you know, here is someone who we'd probably have to say is in the know, right? Yeah. So what is it about the the stub in the past that is the only thing she's afraid of? Good point. And the whole thing with Beatrice uh, apparently resembles her daughter. Which then begs the question, did she do that deliberately? And and, and apparently it's well, not – you're right, right, I know. And, and apparently it is a thing yeah. according to Sharice. You know, that that people have peripherals built of loved ones. Yo, oh, Lobier asked Flynn if I could cut the connection. Would you want me to? And Flynn says, you know, no. And she says, well, why? And Flynn just dancer right away, and Lobier kind of calls her off of that. But we know it's it's because of uh, Wilf, right? Sure. Like she even looks at him, like, oh, because I'm kind of into this guy, and I want to give this a chance, so. So yeah, that was that's a, another thing that. Uh, but you know, I think it might be more than that as well. I mean, I think that's a thing. You know, I I think she certainly developed feelings for Wilf, but I I just think the the wonder of being able to travel to the future and actually participate in it and make a difference in not only the future but in your own time, I think that's pretty compelling as well. True, but I think it's mostly Wilf. <laughs> <laughs> he is a good looking uh, dude. Yeah. Well, and, um, you know, like the, the fact that uh, Lobier won't answer her third question when she says, do you actually have the power to cut off the connection? She's like, whoa, look at the time. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know if that really tells us yes or no, that she has the power or doesn't. Right. It, yeah, it doesn't at all. Right. Cause she could, she either, you know, she doesn't want to, to admit that she does, or she doesn't want to reveal that she doesn't. Right. You know, a little dramatic irony, Corbell wants Bob alive. <laughs> yeah, that was great that's editing. Literally just missed that, buddy. Um, yeah, I think that's uh, that's about all I got. Okay. All right, well, let's hear what Fred got for us this week, and we'll be right back. Hello, Dave and Wayne and all listeners to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for The Fairy Feral, Season 1, Episode 7. Okay, let's start with a grade, an A minus. A minus because I didn't like the fight practice of Beatrice with Burton and Connor that much. A little was okay, but it took me just too long and it didn't contribute very much to the story either. 
Let's start with the discussion between the two power women. Although, I also think Ella Fisher is a power woman. Being blind and then against Bob, not too bad. I really wonder, by the way, if that newspaper clipping will come true, that she will die eventually within a few weeks now, or that Flynn will pressure people in 2100 to take care of Ella's medicine. But the two power women I'm talking about are, of course, Cherise and Inspector Lobeer. I really wonder what will happen now to the original toast house of Cherise, because she is strengthening or cooperating now two walls of the toast house and trying to eliminate the third wall. So, if that's wise, is the question. She is undermining her own model. Although uh, the Klempt families are perhaps more than just Zuboff's family. By the way, the way Lev is involving his young child is very reminiscent of what Cobell did with Jasper. When Cherise visits Lobeer, several strange things happen. For instance, the handshake between Beatrice and Cherise takes too long and the camera is focused on it. What is happening there? And a little later, there is also a kind of non-verbal eye contact between Beatrice and Daniel. Also, of course, a peripheral. I wonder, anyhow, if it's really Charisse that is visiting Lobier, or it's, again, a peripheral. And then Charisse is referring to peripherals that look like family members and referring to something like that Beatrice looks like Lobier's daughter. She lost a daughter, something like that. At the end of this conversation, Charisse leaves Lobier's office and says, next time at my place, or something like that, and have tea? Well, I don't know if tea is such a good idea. I really wondered, by the way, what the language was, what Ash and Ocean were speaking. But then I rewatched it and also looked something up and came to the conclusion that it was encrypted. And actually Lev says it, but you really have to watch it a second time to pick that up. Well, uh, at least I did. And we finally got now an explanation why Flynn had a kind of infection. It was just modified DNA and bacteria, etc., instead of being able to use the haptics to store data. And where do we know this from? Well, not in bacteria, but to store data in DNA. Of course, Orphan Black, where all the clones had a special code within their DNA, a personal code, plus that they are property of diet. Talking about reminiscent things from other series... Connor, Burton and Flynn being in a kind of stasis and then moving around in 2100 is of course very reminiscent of the movie Avatar, the 2009 James Cameron movie, which will get a very new follow-up very soon. Avatar, The Way of Water. I already saw the trailer and it's absolutely cool. Avatar is... One of my favorite movies, anyhow. Two other series it reminds me of, so being in stasis kind of, is, as Wayne will know, Snowpiercer. And the other one is, I think there was something in Brave New World with Jessica Brown Finley. 
She was not herself in stasis, but somewhere there in a cellar or down, there were some people in stasis. A lot of violence in this episode, again, the one which I found a very funny, actually, switch between scenes is that after that Bob was killed, we go back to Corbell and the sheriff, and Corbell says, I want him alive, I want to do something to him, and we just saw that he has been killed. Corbell says to Tommy that he didn't see it coming that he would kill the sheriff. But actually, I did see it coming. I was quite convinced, or at least not surprised, that Tommy did this, what he did. And then the final question is, is Corbell Pickett dead or just blasted? Okay, that will be all for this time. Greetings, all the best, Fred from the Netherlands. Fred goes A- minus this week. Uh, you know, you and I will talk about our grades in a couple of minutes. Uh, I certainly think that's in the ballpark. You know, what is the inspector trying to learn from having Burton and Connor go through that fight sequence? And, and yeah, I agree with you, Fred. I'm still not really sure. I mean, she asks, as we said, Beatrice, which one she would choose. And, and, and you know, again, not to belabor the point, uh, it's it's really not clear what that was all about. She does say that I don't think it's I don't think she's trying to learn anything from them, though. She does ask Beatrice what they're like Um, when she sends them up there. I can't remember the line, but she's basically like, you you know, Flynn's been here. So she's used to this body. You two need to get used to your bodies. So you need to go through this thing to figure out what your your peripheral can do. Right. But why? Well, that's that's what I was going to say. The next thing is then, obviously, she feels that they're going to be involved in violence, that they're going to need to be able to use their bodies in uh, in this in this way. Okay. As part of the Metropolitan Police? As, Who knows? As outside contractors, maybe? We'll see. Yeah. But she also in- indicates that, that Flynn, her physical trial is still to come. And, and, you know, as you said, we know Flynn's had a lot more experience piloting this body, and we know she's got fighting skills from her gaming days and, and has learned how to operate this body. So, you know, so, so there is that. Uh, is Lev's child real? <laughs> That's a good question. I think so. I mean, we're in this situation now where it's kind of hard to tell who's real and who's not. That is true. And on the one hand, and we've talked about it. now, I don't even remember what show we were talking about it you know, as part of the discussion, but in a sense, it's almost like a narrative cheat where we don't know whether that's a replica or whether it's the actual person. So, you know, and we've certainly seen this with Sharice where, you know, in that earlier meeting with Lev, when, you know, she indicates that, no, 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 this is, I'm operating a peripheral it reminds me of a show that i watched recently i can't remember what it could start with a w westworld <laughs> that's probably the show we were talking about that is the show uh, and so you got you got me to say the word you you uh, i tricked you into yep, it yep. see i still have only said it once this whole time despite yep. seeing many similarities uh stop you know like I mean, superficial similarities, but similarities nonetheless. Yeah. Fred, nice call back to Orphan Black with storing data in DNA. Sure. 
And he, I, Fred probably spoke to this in the past at some point. Is whether, that a thing because my right. iPod doesn't really work anymore, so I've got like a <laughs> lot of music. Uh, if I could just store it in my DNA, that would be awesome. Okay, Fred. <laughs> um, let's get that. Let's work that. Let's work that out. And then you know, I, I think can't this afford is, the cloud space. I, I think this has come up in the past ten years at some point. I must be the only person in the world who still hasn't seen Avatar. Though I did give it a shot at one point. I don't think I got more than about 10 minutes into it and just just wasn't for me. But sure. anyway, Fred, glad you I don't you're... know why it wouldn't be for you because it's an amazing movie. I know. But, uh, but yeah, I don't know. All right. You know? All right. Anything else about Fred's feedback? Oh, I, I just, I liked his idea about um, how Sharice is maybe undermining herself, oh. you know, with uh, the, the House of Toast with the crust cut off that she made, you know, if she said there's this delicate balance, she is purposefully throwing that whole balance out of balance. Right. So I guess the question is, does she realize she's doing it or is that part of her nefarious plan? Sure. It's like we, we saw the last time we saw her, she was in a peripheral. Yeah. Like, so basically anyone could pilot a peripheral, right? Yeah, sure. So it could be one person, helming Sharice the one time and another person the other. Like, well, there you go. That's a good point. You know? yep. um, but, you know, I, I like that. I like the, the theory that maybe she's somehow controlling Beatrice. Um, I did not catch that look. So when I go to watch, I'll watch it a third time uh, on Friday. Um, so I'll be sure to, to kind of check out the look that passes between um, Sharice and Beatrice there. But um, But, yeah, if that's a thing, then – then that could lend credence to uh, to Fred's theory there. Okay. All right. You want to talk grades? Yeah, I'm. 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 I'm going to give this an A. I think I'm not going to give it the A minus. I'd, I'd like the fight. The fight. I. I will admit the fight scene wasn't great. It was really dark. Yes. It was hard to see again. I hate that. But I, you know, I, I thought it was something that they they need to do. Right. I think it's it's this foreshadowing. Uh, that we obviously know that they're here. They're going to get in fights. There's going to be violence with them. But, uh, you know, now the Met is, like, so sure of it that she takes them out to get training, on you know, basically on her dime there. So Right. And I, and I think it gives Connor the chance to experience this new body, you know, that, that ex- being able to do things that he was able to do in the past that he hasn't been able to do you know, after, uh, you know, his wartime injury. So I, I think you almost had to give him a chance to just really go nuts, which right. is what he's able to do here. Right. So much so that as he's falling, he's like laughing. Right. Yeah. Yes. That was awesome. <laughs> and, and because we don't necessarily get the sense that he or Burton is completely a hundred percent sure what's going to happen when they well in, in this case you know he's the only one that's going to hit the ground uh, burton already had his neck snapped so right. you know I, the only thing and i'm not I, I may have to make this a game time decision the only thing that's keeping me from a full on a is the amount of explaining what's going on as opposed to revealing it organically and i understand they've only got 8 episodes all right, but is that going to be the excuse for 
sci-fi TV moving forward. Well, we only have eight episodes, so we've got to like have right. one character use dialogue to explain all this stuff that's just been, you know, kind of out there. So I'm not terribly bothered by it, but I'm not, not sure. Psyched about it. Yeah, I'm not yeah. sure I want to go yeah. full on A yet, but at least okay. A minus. But all right, all right. I'm gonna I'm gonna think about it. Fair enough. So all right, well we've got the season one finale coming up next week. Uh, really looking forward to it for sure. Um, and I guess we will you know, see where we're headed and see yeah. what. Well, we know where we're headed. Like see for what once, right? Like well, right. Usually at this point, we're starting to panic because we still. Have oh, well, yeah. Oh, yeah. In that what regard, we I do next. I, I <laughs> so meant we got, got the next thing all lined up. I meant where we're headed in the uh, peripheral. Oh, world, yeah. But, but yeah, knows? I forgot about yeah, that. Who knows where peripheral is going to go, man? Yeah. So, uh, all right. Well, we will leave it there. That will do it for this episode of Sci Fi TV Rewatch. Thank you for joining us. Love to hear what you think about the peripheral. Hopefully, you're going to keep with us for $18.99. Check out the Facebook group if you haven't already. Sci Fi TV Rewatch at gmail.com is the way you can get in touch with us. We'll be back next week to talk about the season finale, episode eight of the peripheral. But until then, you know, like, a lot of times we see some kind of weird stuff on Facebook, Dave. You know, it's just part of, like, the nature of the beast, right? But this one thing that the listener asked us to do, it seemed to me go beyond. I don't know, just weird when, you know, she said to sit, both of you, on your hand.